Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown. We hope that you liked the last episode with Lexi Lloyd-Smith. I know that I certainly did. Um, one of our favorites, Uh Yeah, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say oh, that I think it's one oh. of my favorites so far. And what's also exciting about this podcast episode is we have another guest who I'm going to introduce in a second. But we also, um, we've officially recorded 30 episodes of the podcast. I did um, not realize that. Yeah, so Ooh. this is number 30. So uh, Frank... Uh, you, you know, you're now number 30, which is fantastic. Uh, I did not really think that how have we how have know. we not gone sick of each other and sick of doing this and given up? I mean, I am sick of you, but I'm still doing it. No, <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you're fine, but like I've always been known for having commitment issues, so <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's change the subject. <laughs> uh, uh, so, guys, we are excited to bring uh, Frank Gandecki onto the podcast, and uh, we're going to kind of go into a little bit of psychology. And uh, Frank used to work uh, as a psychologist and still does some stuff, you know, kind of integrated into his personal training uh, kind of role now. But I'm sure that what he I can um, introduce him, and then he's going to actually talk about that because that's why we have him on the podcast. So. I first met Frank a couple of years back when he was part of the TAS scheme at uh, university, which is the Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme. Uh, he was working as the sports psychologist for the TAS scheme. Uh, and we actually worked together for uh, the Tottenham Women's Academy, as well as kind of in conjunction with a couple of individual athletes as well. So we got to know each other a couple of years back and we've kind of stayed in touch and stayed friends uh, over the last couple of years. Um and so essentially the TAS scheme, sort of a university-based performance program, which supports athletes across like national, international, and even Olympic level. Um, and I think his interest really was the psychology of optimal performance and acceptance of commitment therapy. Now, I'm, I'm sure we can definitely get into the nuts and bolts of that. Um, so he's been to university, done a BSc and an MSc uh, in sports uh, and exercise science, and then mastered in exercise psychology. Um, interestingly, and I didn't know this about Frank, was that he actually grew up with a passion for boxing. Um, and I did not realize that he was so interested in boxing until we, you know, we wanted to get him on the podcast. Um, so yeah, he's now kind of changed, changed tracks a little bit. And he's now a qualified and experienced personal trainer, which is sort of his current focus as well as a qualified boxing coach registered with the national governing body of England boxing. Um, so anyway, Frank, um, let's bring you in, mate. How, how are you doing? Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. And also I'm super kind of excited to get into the topic of psychology, how it relates to performance and also just to hear your story as well. Hi guys. Um, thank you for having me. Um, thanks for that introduction, Connor um yeah no um so i guess as as in this brief introduction um growing up i was doing a lot of boxing um it's just something that i had kind of natural passion for uh after school always in the boxing gym and um 
then when it came to sort of choosing my A-levels and kind of deciding whether I want to go to university, what degree I want to do, um, there, was a, there was a degree in, in psychology with sports science at, at the University of Exeter. And that uh, looked really interesting because on one side, I kind of had an interest in sports science and sport and, uh, and that, that side of things. Um, but also I was really interested in psychology, just human psychology and understanding kind of our relationship with the mind and, and, and those, sort of, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I, I went there. So I, I grew up in Poland, so I, I moved to the UK to study. And, uh, and yeah, spent four years then studying sports psychology and then um, was lucky also to work as part of uh, sort of, kind of high-level program uh, with talented athletes for two years as a sports psychologist and uh, yeah it's been it's been really interesting to sort of learn about that field so hopefully maybe I can share uh, a few bits here today on the podcast and I would love to uh, sort of talk about the subject yeah thank you for coming on man I mean and it's so good that we have a psychologist on because Connor and I always talk about to be honest these kinds of things and and you know to have someone on who's as you say, you you worked on the as part of the TAS program and then with the Tottenham Academy as well. You know, you work with some like pretty pretty serious, like pretty high level athletes. And um, yeah, a, a lot of uh, a lot of things to get into. So take it away, Con. Absolutely, sir. Um, first of all, I did not know you were from Poland. Do you speak Polish? Yeah, I speak Polish, my native language. Dzień dobry. <laughs> That's all I know. Dobry. I know, a few, I know a few phrases, but I love Poland. It's one of my favorite places. Um, anyway, that's completely off topic. Let's get back to psychology. Um, we're going to hit you with a big one first, because I suppose we sort of want to narrow the focus a little bit in terms of, you know, sort of what you've worked with, who you've worked with, what sort of things that you've worked with in terms of athletes. So I guess that kind of brings us on to what are the most common problems and issues that athletes come to you with? I know that's a big question to ask, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a few themes there. Um, so, so, I mean, athletes, if there's any kind of problems in terms of, uh, you know, mental performance or, or, or any problems, I guess, just applicable to general life as well. Uh, I guess athletes, like any other person, were kind of trying to, um, find some solutions themselves and usually they'll be able to kind of resolve them um so then going to a sports psychologist and they're, they're kind of like okay i want to get some kind of outsider perspective or some um support on that i think quite commonly it will be around the pre-performance anxiety um or, or nervousness before competitions so athletes may sort of come in and say i've noticed that um I've been getting quite nervous before my competitions, maybe more so than before. It's been happening for a while. And I've noticed that that's sort of uh, affected my performance negatively. Um, so I'm able to perform better in training than in competition. So then it's kind of working on that. Um, often it's an event that happens uh, that then is perceived to undermine confidence. So it's like, I used to be confident and now this happened. I'm no longer confident. I can't seem to get it back. Um, injury is a big theme as well. Uh, that's sort of like a big event that can have a, have a, 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 you know, kind of 
profound influence on the individual and that's sort of probably a lot of it is just from not being able to to do sport for a while or it could be career ending injury so a lot of stuff around identity and that kind of, that kind of stuff um yeah probably a few other things i guess um athletes often have a good awareness as well that that there's something that they want to work on so um often they will kind of have an awareness that um maybe they're struggling with certain thoughts or feelings and they want to learn better strategies to handle them thoughts and feelings a bit a bit better uh yeah so for example just to illustrate on that last last part uh could be something to do with self-talk so for example they're noticing that self-talk is this or that and they want to work on it or they notice that they they tend to be quite perfectionistic or they tend to beat themselves up a bit and they're noticing that that's affecting them in a negative way so immediately we kind of have some already to work work on because when there's awareness it's kind of easier to um progressing to work from that that's really that's really interesting i just wanted to pick up on because you know you as you mentioned like you say you know most athletes and most people i suppose like they kind of recognize quote unquote sort of problems or issues that they want to work with and they come up with you know strategies to deal with it themselves i started working with a sports psychologist um in 2018 as part of the you know our, our performance program in hong kong for athletes and i was not aware of them <laughs> like i did not know my brain I didn't know any of the problems I had, nor did I have any strategies to cope with it. And, you know, I, yeah, it was just completely oblivious to sort of how important and valuable it is to actually understand how your mind works and how that affects your performance in your life. And because, and, and, yeah, just from personal experience, like I went into it going like, oh, fine, like it's, it's chill, it's all good. But then it was through like years of working with, a sports psychologist that I realized like actually I've got all of these things that should probably be addressed and like lo and behold having addressed them like it's made me a better athlete and dare I say a better person so yeah it's just sort of my personal experience with sports psychology. It's interesting from both of your personal experience as well because you know with Frank being the practitioner and Yushan you know being an athlete it's it's interesting to hear from both of your perspectives that, you know, Frank might employ certain tactics or techniques to be able to sort of tap into information that he wants to either get out of you or, you know, that you need to express. And then on the flip side as well, I suppose Frank mentioned it really, really well, which I thought was a great point was that, um, most athletes know that they have a problem, but they don't know how to fix it. And I think that is a really important point to pick up on that acceptance, knowing that you have something that you want to be able to improve is such a big step towards actually, you know, going and improving that. Because I'm sure that, Frank, you probably attest to this, that you've probably had people that have come in for psychology and gone, oh, what the I don't need that shit. What's that? You know, and so they're already resistant to that kind of, oh no, I don't need to change. There's nothing wrong with me. And there might not be anything wrong with you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't benefit from having support psychologically. 
Um, one of the biggest points that you made, which I spoke to one of my athletes a couple of weeks ago was about, was about injuries. You know, let's get into that a little bit quickly. I know this is a little bit off topic, but you know, you mentioned it. I want to bring it up. And I think personally from personal experience as well, from working with athletes as an S and C coach, you know, I don't pretend to know a lot about injuries because I'm not a physiotherapist and I'm not a sports doctor. But one thing that I've noticed is that psychologically injuries have a larger impact than they might do physically, at least in the long term, not acutely. Um, you know, for example, I worked with a sprinter a couple of years back who had a really high hamstring uh, tear. Um, and it got to the point where she was fully, you know, fully rehabbed, fully healed. You know, we were loading full hip extension. Um, we were, you know, she was back sprinting, but whenever she was asked by her coach to kind of open up her gate, you know, where she was actually trying to lengthen her stride and stretch that hamstring in that lengthened position, she just couldn't do it. Um, and it transpired that it wasn't necessarily physical it was linked to the fact that she was just so scared to actually open up her gate because she didn't want to have it it happen again she went to go see a psychologist and she was just she was dumbfounded she was like how on earth have i gone through this time period and and not realized how psychologically impactful that injury was on me what, what are your thoughts on that Hey, it's an interesting point that you said that, that I've not heard that one before about the injury could have a psychological impact longer than the physical impact, uh, potentially. Um, yeah, no, that, that, is, that is really interesting. And I guess, you know, you would, you would be kind of worried about the re-injury. I mean, injury is not something that's pleasant and nor is something that's desirable. Um, so it almost seems like it will be natural to have these thoughts and these mechanisms in place to try and prevent re-injury um but i guess yeah like you say you know is one of these things where where you want to you want to kind of become aware of the link between the the thoughts and the behavior right so mm -hmm. if you're noticing that behaviorally it's it's making you have a block in training because you're not doing something that you're meant to be doing that's considered safe mm -hmm. at this stage of you know um, rehab uh, or even even post rehab um, then then you know that's that's when you can look at it and and be like can I change something there um, because behaviorally I'm not kind of achieving my goal yeah Absolutely. Um, you got anything to add to that, Yushuan, before I move on to the next one? Because I've got an interesting point that I want to link into that. It's not go. So we talk about identity, right? And I want to link this back into injuries because I've known, especially in the world of weightlifting, I it's, it's almost comical the amount of athletes that come into weightlifting or they are weightlifters that identify themselves as, you know, they are an injured weightlifter, you know, they have problems with their shoulder or their knee, and that's just a thing, you know, always happens. How hard is it to change that kind of perception of, you know, you don't always have to be 
you don't always have to identify as this sort of broken athlete because it's almost gotten to the point now where in strength sports, people, they laugh the, you know, they laugh at themselves that, like, oh yeah, who, which, which high performing athlete isn't injured, you know, which is kind of sadistic, but it, it's quite a difficult place to be right that you are identifying yourself as constantly being in this injured or uh i guess degraded state yeah no, that, <laughs> that's interesting it's i guess really I, messed up. <laughs> yeah i don't have you ever come across that at all like have you ever worked with anyone that's just like you know, and uh, it's not necessarily being a hypochondriac at all. It's just that people are just, they, that is their identity. You know, their identity is that, oh yeah, I'm an injured athlete and they always will be. So they're almost using that as a crutch to be like, that's why I'm not good. I've heard that mm. many times before. Oh yeah, I fucked my back five years ago, so I'm not a good weightlifter anymore, but you know, I'm still here in lifting. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I guess I've got two kind of points on that. Um, I actually saw that you, uh, you Sean, and you kind of you recorded um, a podcast episode on identity as well. Mm. So that's on my uh, list to to check it out. Um, I'm nervous but, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess from the identity perspective, you, know, you, you we have one focus in sports psychology quite often is about encouraging athletes to to have other identities, right? Have multiple identities, um, which I think is a great focus. Um, so on one hand is a positive thing, of course, but then I think you've got a good point as well, kind of with, we can sort of have that rigidity about the identity that we have. So whatever it is, whether, you know, I am a personal trainer, I am a, uh, weightlifting coach or I am an athlete or I am an injured athlete whatever it is uh, that kind of rigid identity uh, is so something that can also get in the way uh, and can actually be harmful I think um, you know and I've that that's probably I've, I've worked with, with several athletes on this this sort of exclusive identification as an athlete and then I get injured and so suddenly, you know, I get this identity confusion. Um, but I guess, yeah, if I have a rigid identity as an injured athlete, um, I will be, that will be affecting my actions in a certain way mm. and how I see things. And that may not always be um, useful. You know, I may not try certain things in training. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess you, both of you probably have more of an insight into that than me, actually. In what ways that could actually have a negative impact? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> I think the identity stuff is super interesting. And I think, like you say, having a rigid identity, and it's such an easy thing, I think, to do or, or fall into the trap of doing work is uh, not just with sports, like with any job, like a job that is so kind of consuming and uh, you put a lot of time and effort into it, that's who you think you are. Uh, and in many ways, it probably is kind of who you are in a sense that that's what you're doing. And um, I've definitely felt that way before. Um, and it's impacted me, one, like you're saying, when I was injured. And then I was like, okay, actually, I'm not doing any of those things. Like, who am I now? 
but also what I've found personally has been times when it's like, you know, it's not going so well. Like that part of me isn't doing well, you know, <clears throat> performance-wise, for example, and I'm losing competitions. I'm not doing well for quite an extended period of time. And if all I see myself as being is, is an athlete, is a rider, like, and I'm a shit one, like it's, you know, that that's quite, it's got, got quite a big impact as well. And it's interesting to sort of relate this back kind of to like previous guests that we've had, like, you know, we had Rowan White, who was a rugby player and played for England and then played for Saracens, you know, like top level rugby player who quit rugby quite sort of, or like was made to leave rugby quite um, suddenly. And, and suddenly this whole kind of identity crisis or identity confusion, like you say, kicks in because that's all you thought you were. Um, so yeah. what do you find with that? Like how, how would you as a psychologist help people sort of mm -hmm. get through that or manage that? Yeah, no, I, I think um, as you were talking, actually, a, a, a new thought emerged for me. Um, These are some great, great insights. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I think Connor would, would, yeah, <laughs> Connor, Connor would probably be a great person to follow after after this because I know that he he loves this topic as well. And I think um, values is is a powerful piece of work that you can do with with an athlete, whether you're a coach or whether you're an athlete yourself. You can there's there's lots of resources that you can engage in that work yourself, and uh, it's it's really about looking at you know what are my kind of valued roles that I have? So whether that, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete, um, what are some other ways that I identify myself, whether, you know, in my relationships, um, in my sort of, you know, what, what, what else do I do in my free time? You know, do I go to church or do I take part in any, any activism or do I go to school or what, whatever is, do I work? And then looking at these valued roles and then, and then, uh, and then trying to identify values from there. So, you know, what what is it that is important to me as an athlete you know what what are these sort of characteristics of action that i aspire to have um and you know you'd find things that you know athletes will often say are things like resilience is important to them or being hardworking, uh having attention to detail being meticulous in their training um it could be about fairness and kind of valuing the the competition side of things often athletes will say that I love sport because I love the competition, how it, that brings out the best part in me. Um, it, you know, it could be about all, all these different things. And then it's, it's, you know, if the identity was to go because I've got a career ending injury or I can't be an athlete for a while, I, can, I still have these characteristics of things that are important to me that I can just bring into other areas of my life. And that creates a good transition i think what do you think connor i absolutely 100 percent agree and i think you can apply that to a lot of different things um i had a conversation <clears throat> without oversharing a conversation with one of my friends who's in the military and we had a very similar conversation that you know he was finding it really difficult to adjust to civ civilian life after coming out of the military um and i'm not a sports psychologist and i just said to him well you know, maybe you need to sort of look at some of the things that you learned in the army and some of the values that you were taught and that make you who you were in the army and try and apply that to what you're doing now, you know, in everyday life. 
Um, and I think like you bringing up the values is, is for me, you know, we've had conversations about this. That for me is the biggest part because your values will never leave you. Yes, they're flexible. You know, you, they can change, you know, your values can change. But one thing that has always struck me is that once you have your values, you, you then are almost, uh, you've been honest with yourself because you can't lie. You know, you can lie to other people very easily. You can lie to your sports psychologist or to your SNC coach or to your physio. But when it comes to yourself, if you really want it to work, if you need to have changes in your identity or whatever it might be, those values have to be honest um, and you have to look inside yourself, which I know is super philosophical, but, you know, we've all done it at some point we've gone soul searching or life searching and gone, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You know, and that's that point where anyone could benefit from psychological help, not just, you know, for mental health or for sports performance, but just for life in general to actually figure out what are your values? What do you stand for? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to have around you? Um, it's not just for elite athletes, you know, people forget that. Like, one of the conversations we have, um, and I think this is why Yushua and, and I get on so well, is that, you know, I have never treated him as, yeah, he's he's a fantastic athlete. You know, he he's one of the best riders in, in Hong Kong. He, you know, and... I was going to, I thought you were going to say one of the best riders, you know, because that's not a really, that's not a very uh, high bar. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be like, Con, how many riders do you actually know? Uh, three. Two. <laughs> Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, you know, I've always said to him that I always put, like, every athlete is a human. And one of the things that's always stuck out for me uh, before we come back onto topic is I actually had an English teacher when I was at school and he had a poster in his room and it was literally a picture of, of, uh, I guess it was like, a, a um, it was like a man or whatever it was. Um, and it was literally just a picture of, of a, a man's kind of body and it had a belly button. And it said, um, if you have a belly button, you, you can make mistakes. And I was like, for years, I would be sat there puzzling, like, what the hell does that even mean? And then when I, I eventually asked him and he was like, it just means that we're human. We make mistakes. And, you know, sometimes we get lost along the way. You know, we're not robots and we might need people to guide us. And that, for me, that's always kind of stuck out in my mind that working with elite athletes, if you can just get them to realize that they're not robots, they're humans as well, they're going to make mistakes. You know, they might have identity crisis. They might even suffer from imposter syndrome, even if they are the best in the world. That's fine. As long as you can accept that and you have those values that you can kind of come back on. God, I didn't realize I was going to spend that long uh, waffling about that. <laughs> Jesus, look who's a psychologist now. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But I really think that's a, that's a good sort of, Good thing for everyone to take away and something that's definitely helped me a lot over the years is kind of discovering and yeah like realizing what my values were um uh, across the board and like you say it helps people sort of realize actually without all these things that you do like you're still a person carrying the same values that can be applied to all different other fields in life you know like when I kind of, uh, and, and 
I don't know what it's been like for you uh, in terms of working with other people and working with athletes and how like that process. But for me, I've kind of had to like decide what I wanted my values to be, you know? And then mm. it was a constant process of sort of reminding myself, like actually this is who I am. Um, and I think that ties really well into success as well and, and like success in performance. And, and because it was only when I kind of decided and reinforced, you know, what my values were in terms of who I am and what I did in terms of like, I want to put hundred percent into everything I do. You know, I want to, you know, be open-minded about trying new things and, and new methods. And I want to, you know, treat everyone well and feel like I'm doing the right thing then all of a sudden like when I'm competing or even outside of sports like when I'm doing anything like if I don't achieve what I wanted to do like actually the goalposts have shifted a bit in terms of what I could what I count as success you know did I tick all those boxes of did I put in all the work that I could did I put in all the effort I could etc because that's who I am and that's who I want to be um but interestingly you know at the beginning when you kind of said the main sort of problems or issues that people come to you with um pre-performance anxiety i think that is something that affects like everyone um to a greater or lesser degree you know just performance and and having to perform and, and compete and that makes that makes people anxious that makes people nervous like what's the What's your sort of perspective on it as a psychologist? Like, what have you seen, and what do you what do you what do you do to help? Yeah, I think uh, I don't know if that's the saying, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Is that that's the saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think that's you hit the nail on the head there with uh, saying that everyone experiences it. So, I guess it just must be the human condition, right? I mean. That's what makes us different from, you know, this this laptop that I'm just using now. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's I think that's huge part of my my work as a sports psychologist has been just normalizing that that you know, yes, it's just what you're meant to be experiencing because there's there's stuff at stake. You're doing this competition that's important to you. You know, you you're supposed to feel this way. Um, yeah like there'd almost be something wrong with you if you don't yeah feel that. absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and then and then i guess i guess then okay well then what do we do i mean connor you mentioned uh, in my introduction about acceptance and commitment therapy that's a huge part so that's that acceptance part is actually looking at okay well that's that's my experience of this emotion of these thoughts mm. let me sit with that um but then I guess, okay, it's also, okay, so yes, yes, we have these emotions that come up with performance. So how can we sort of still execute to the highest level? So then I guess a lot of the preparation will be around, okay, well, you know, how can I, how can I prepare for that? So, you know, if you are doing a certain lifts, like um, weightlifting lifts and training, and you never train like you are performing, so that's that's one thing that's going to be a bit of a shock to the system when you suddenly go to a competition and there's lights there's a stage there's 
you know, the, the silence before you left and there's all the fans and looking at you and stuff like that. And there's all that pressure. Um, you know, if you haven't prepared for that, that's probably going to have a negative effect on your performance, not necessarily the anxiety itself. Um, that would be my hypothesis. And there, there are ways to train for that. There are ways to replicate the performance environment in training. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you would love to hear your thoughts on that, how, how you, you do that, you Connor as a coach and then you, you Sean as, a, as an athlete as well. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make because, I mean, you both made it and I was like shaking my head like absolutely 100% that normalizing pressure and nerves before competition is a very important thing. You know, if you're not nervous, you probably don't care about it enough. You know, it's usually what I tend to say to a lot of my weightlifters when they're stepping on stage is, you know, I ask them, how are you feeling? They go, I'm shit my pants most of the time. And I'm like, good. You know, it keeps you focused. Right. But then I'll just end up saying to them, but nothing is different. All you're doing is putting your hands on an empty bar, like cold metal. And all you're doing is just rep after ref. You, you've done this before. Just focus on what you usually do in the gym, you know, and you mentioned it perfectly about replicating some of those scenarios. I'd be interested to know if, if that's some of the things that they do in equestrian as well. Yushuan was, you know, replicating it where, Sometimes we might say to people, you have to wear your singlets, you know, before, like the week before. So they're actually in their focus there and they are able to, when they go back to um, <clears throat> like visual representation, they can visualize themselves training that week before in their singlet. So it doesn't feel that unfamiliar, you know, like, like nerves are being in an unfamiliar place. You, you have, there's no one there's less unknowns, the less unknowns you have, the less, I guess, nervousness and pressure you might have. Um, some, some of the other things that we've tried to employ as well is no music a couple of weeks before, you know, you spoke about silence. Silence is one of the biggest things that give people nerves for me in weightlifting because no one is shouting. No, what there's no music. It's just you and your head. And, that a lot of, you know, dangerous and empty things can happen when it's just you in your head. Um, so, you know, no music as well. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, without going into too many things, there's lots of things that we can employ as a coach, but I think it's just interesting, you know, that, that you even mentioned this, that we as coaches or as athletes might even do some of these things already, but we just don't know that it's a, not a coping mechanism, but it's like a strategy. You know, we wouldn't know that. Um, but yeah, you it's kind of changing the tune. You should, I'd be interested, like scenario wise, you know, how kind of do you prepare sort of, because I, I imagine it's different, you know, weightlifting is fairly predictable. You pick up a bar, you hold it, you put it down. You might do that in the gym. You might have to do it on a platform in front of 50 to a hundred people, maybe more. But when you're doing equestrian, you know, you're outside, environment is different. Uh, maybe the course is different yeah 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 i mean the course is different every time and you know it, there's a lot of sort of uncontrollable variables you know things that are out of your control uh i would say the biggest one is the fact that you're on a horse <laughs> it's you know um i think just getting on a horse like you are sacrificing a bit of control in your life um but 
and I think it's a pretty stupid thing to do, but, um, you know, I think the biggest part for me, like, it's really interesting to hear you guys, you know, both as a psychologist and Connor, when, when you're competing as well, like, you guys say that people come up with their own coping mechanisms, because I did it, like, I honestly, I, um, like, for years, I would just be nervous, I'd just be shitting my pants, and, like, we wear white pants when we compete like just <laughs> um but no i mean for, for years I, I didn't have a strategy i didn't have any way of managing my nerves and i just found that it got worse and worse and um i think it you know frank do you think that normalizing that and kind of acceptance of it that that's a big help because i know personally it has been for me like um in the beginning especially when i would look around at well when i'd be nervous i'd look around and be like yeah but everyone else here is nervous as well um and that was kind of the first step and then for me a lot of it was to do with like i don't know just kind of breaking it down and the way i see it i think when i'm nervous or when i'm sort of overly nervous and overly anxious like overwhelmingly anxious it takes away from my focus um and that was the main crutch for me like i wanted to be focused and i found that the best way for me to be focused was for me to be calm you know and so uh connie you you asked sort of what kind of strategies and things like that like i would a lot of it is like self-talk like I would go back to sort of this set piece that I have of telling myself like what I need to focus on um you know in terms of in terms of just writing and doing the job like what are the kind of fundamentals that I need to fall back on that that I need to focus on with my writing um and then this like reshift in focus of like okay what the plan is specific to the course that I'm about to ride you know um what I how I'm going to write each line and things like that and I find that when I sort of actively refocus myself then the nerves kind of go away because I'm thinking about what I'm doing I'm not thinking about everything else around me and then the main thing I think for me is like focusing on the things that I can control in general um, you know we talk about like you say there are a lot of it's very stoic uncontrollable thank you uncontrollable variables um in the competition like you know the horse the weather like things that can happen that even if you do everything right like the reality is things that are out of control may get in the way and give you shit um but you know there's no point wasting your time and energy on trying to fix those things like what you should be fixing and focusing on are the things that you can control i.e my writing my preparation like making sure that I've got everything in place to give me the best chance to, to perform well, you know? Um, and to be honest, and I think Con, we touched on this last episode um, or something like that, but one of the things that has really helped my nerves is sort of, um, <laughs> it sounds weird, but like not being nervous, <laughs> like, um, or choosing to not be, or, or like, kind of embracing what I'm doing and enjoying it and having fun and being grateful for it, you know? Um, and I can imagine it 
being the same, say in weightlifting, when you step onto the platform and so it's silent, you can hear a pin drop, you see the lights, like the spotlight is on you. Um, and that can make you go one of two ways. You know, you can actually shit yourself or you can yeah. be like, fuck, this is amazing. Like, yeah. This is what I'm here for. Um, it's the same for me, you know, like entering the arena with it being silent and all these things and there being an atmosphere and a crowd and, you know, feeling a bit of pressure. Like, I guess realizing and accepting that like I actually love that feeling and I love being there like instead of focusing on how scary it all is and how daunting it all is has helped me a lot with my nerves um yeah. it'd be interesting to hear like Frank as a psychologist like psychologize me <laughs> what do you think that's all about well first thing I'll say is uh there was a Tottenham coach once um and she was saying that um, she says to players, you're not, you're not nervous, you're, you're alive, or you're not feeling nervous, you're, you're alive. I think that's, a, that's kind of a cool reframe, similar to what you're saying, Yushuan, about kind of embracing that, almost that feeling, embracing yeah. the experience yeah. of it. Um, that sort of comes to mind. Uh, but yeah, very, very interesting to hear both of you uh, talking about psychology. And one of the things that I should have said probably earlier, but I'll say it now, is that when I, uh, when I kind of work in my psychology hat, I always think that, and when working with athletes, I always think that the coaches and the athletes are the experts, not me. So I, yes, I have studied sports psychology for these many years. But I do firmly believe that coaches know more about psychology and athletes themselves have lots of wisdom. Um, so, and that, that just proves my point sort of thing because both of you are essentially talking about psychology and different strategies and that you've kind of know that work for the particular context of the different sports as well. I mean, it would be foolish for me as a sports psychologist to, to talk about you know, peak performance and horse riding where... I've never even seen an event or I've never seen even a, you know, an athlete in training. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's interesting, Yushuan, what you were saying uh, kind of about the relationship with the mind. And I think the let, letting go is a theme that I'm hearing. And it can so if, if if I'm feeling this nervousness or this pre-competition anxiety, it can be made worse by certain thoughts that are just popping up and we're kind of getting hooked by them. So if you know, if I'm getting hooked by thoughts like, oh, stop being nervous, or look at all these different athletes, they're not nervous, you're nervous, you need to reduce that anxiety because that's going to kill your performance. And you're getting that thought every five seconds and you're getting hooked by it every time. That's definitely going to make the feeling sort of unbearable, right? So one of the things that we do with athletes is from that ACT perspective, so acceptance and commitment therapy, we, we start trying to create a little bit of a separation between the thought and you, the watcher, the person who, or the, the perspective that you can have take on that thought. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, a lot of it is, is 
inspired or even based in kind of mindfulness practice where you're noticing thoughts and, and take that observer perspective on them. And that just creates, helps create a bit of a healthy distance really and just see it, that's a thought that I'm having, but what's important now? What do I want to do? Because if, let's say, if you're getting these thoughts and you say, all right, I'm just going to quit that competition, I'm not going to do it. Um, would that be in line with your values of wanting to do your best, wanting to compete, or would that be not in line with your values? And when you ask yourself that question, it's like, no, I want to compete. And you embrace the experience. That's super, yeah, super interesting. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I think, yeah, as you say, that's such an, it's, it almost becomes, if you're not aware of that, or you kind of, allow that to happen it's kind of a vicious cycle isn't it like thought react thought react and um and then you're not even in control of how you're reacting to your thoughts like yeah um, so, so where, yeah the, yeah no 100 now let me just jump on it yeah. so the, all these things have like kind of like clinical terms for them and and stuff like that um but yeah it, i also wanted to say it's completely normal to have these thoughts you know that's the thing that we all get them uh like you know uh you know am i good enough should i be here like i'm an imposter whatever you know all this stuff i i'm a loser is is very normal it seems that we all have these thoughts or at least everyone that i spoke to have these mm -hmm. thoughts um but it's just about that's what we call it psychological flexibility of being able to actually just kind of notice and observe these thoughts and decide whether they are helpful or unhelpful. Uh, yeah. Sorry for jump for, for interrupting. No, no, absolutely. That's, that's really good. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting to hear, like, seems like what you're saying and how it's sort of translating in my brain is like, you know, as you say, like all these thoughts are normal and, um, and it, people might have different sort of variations of them or different, ways of thinking them but they pop in and they're normal and they're also kind of out of your control but what's in your control is how you respond to them right um and i think just from my personal experience from and you know this made me think of you know, you know, what you're saying has made me think of it is that i wasn't and i'm sure a lot of people are the same like i wasn't aware necessarily that i was having these thoughts or kind of what exactly they were um because i've not like you say i've not taken that step back to observe you know observe like okay i'm feeling nervous what are the thoughts um well i'm feeling nervous i think that maybe i don't feel prepared you know maybe i'm putting a lot of value on on getting a good result at this specific competition there are people i want to impress you know there are people externally kind of where i feel pressure from to do well you know, I want to get a good placing, I want to get a good ranking, blah, 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 like so on and so forth. But before I actually uh, took a step back and, and looked at these things and, you know, listened to what I was actually saying to myself, like, yeah, I was fighting a losing battle because I don't even know what I was fighting against, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so yeah, like what you're saying, that kind of strategy and that kind of thought process has been a massive helped in me and kind of managing 
my my brain but um i think yeah like uh, it'd be interesting to hear sort of in terms of your kind of practical methods like because my psychologist likes to use a lot of analogies and i don't know if that's just with me because I, he thinks i i've got uh i need analogies to help me understand things but um yeah it'd be interesting to hear like what sort of things do you do in terms of trying to get people to understand like these concepts that you bring forward and how that can help yeah no analogies are great metaphors are great i always try to bring you know some some easy metaphors um yeah no i i, I love before maybe I, I i can i can maybe offer one or two simple ones <laughs> but um i i love that your your kind of perspective where you're saying that the thoughts are uncontrollables right because in athletes love this of and sports psychologists alike and coaches but they are, everyone loves the, the uncontrollables and controllables distinction right but then there is a huge part of sports psychology which is a little bit more traditional old school where it's you would put the thoughts and feelings you would put them in controllables because there's strategies that you can use on them so you know it would be like breathing techniques to try to calm your nerves down or like there's even techniques like thought stopping where you just like you get a thought that you perceive that's negative or maladaptive and you're trying to push it away straight away from your awareness you distract yourself with something else so then it's then perceived that if you engage in these things it will actually make these things go away or or, or calm your nerves or whatever whereas i would actually and, and when i use this sort of framework I would always put thoughts and feelings in the uncontrollables. I would say, look, there is pressure. There is that performance situation. These things are, are going to come up. You know, these thoughts of self-doubt, you know, they, they're going to come up. That's just, you know, it's just how our brain works. There's, you know, we can't just switch it off. But what's in your control is how you respond to it. That's exactly what you said. I love that. I love that what you said. And you you can respond to it by cre so although you can't switch off the self-doubt you can you can add in a little bit more of a positive inner dialogue right so you can say i'm feeling pumped let's do this competition look i've been preparing for this for for freaking months man let's do this like i want to I'm, I'm ready i'm ready and then you you get that thought creeping up like oh yeah, you know, but you're not feeling 100% today. Or, you know, oh, you know, that shoulder injury could come back. Or whatever it is, you can be like, yeah, fair enough. Thank you, brain. That's one strategy. Thank you, brain. And trying to create more positive self-talk um, self that's reminding you of those things that are important to you. Performing at this competition to the best of your ability is perhaps something that's important to you um but yeah so you've got this is one when you're getting some thoughts and they're trying to hook you you can say thank you brain um, i like that positive yeah, reframing yeah <laughs> there is there is loads more and i'm sure you yeah i'm sure you you know plenty of good ones as well from your sports like um but yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I like, I've actually I've actually used that 
in the last couple of days to a week, um, not just on myself, but on a couple of athletes that I've been coaching for weightlifting that, um, you know, I think you mentioned it really well earlier about lacking perspective. And I think that's one of the biggest hampers or dampeners on, on subsequent performance that like you're always bothered about how well you're progressing, which is a natural thing. You know, you want to continue to keep improving, but ultimately I usually always say this to people, are you where you were a year ago? And if they say no, in terms of they've improved, then that answers my question. People in today's society are so bothered about constant and instant gratification for everything that they do. You know, they want to be the best now. They don't want it next year. They want it right now, you know, but, you know, back in sort of when I was playing rugby or whatever, you know, like you taking it right the way back to the start you both mentioned was actually enjoying it and being present and, and being there and, and going back to the thought of, I love doing this and I, I, you know, I, I get to do this. I know it's different for most people, but um, yeah, the positive reframing was a big thing. I had that this weekend. Lots of people were asking me two questions. One, am I nervous? Well, yeah. I mean, of course I'm fucking nervous. Like I'm stepping in front of a stage, but am I going to let those nerves consume me? Absolutely not. I love it. I love that I get to do this. So I might as well go out there and do it. Um, the second thing was I didn't have a great competition, not the end of the world, but it is what it is. And people said to me, why did you not open? So open is like, why did you not lower your, your lifts? And I said, the reason why is because I went there to win. Did I, could I have opened lighter? A hundred percent I could have opened lighter. But the reason I didn't is because I was confident and even if I wasn't confident, I was telling my brain, you're going to do this. You know, you can do this. And if you don't, you gave it your best fucking shot anyway. You know, because that's what sport is about is being competitive with yourself. And if you fall short of the hurdle, at least you can say, well, you know what? I gave it my best effort. So I didn't fail. I may have missed, but I didn't fail. Um, you know, that's just from my personal experience. I pre it's nice to kind of have that re reinforcement from you, you know, saying like, these are some of the things that you can do. And um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Connor. Um, and to be honest, I think it's really good to kind of have that insight. And I think one, Connor and I have been doing this in terms of sports uh, for you know, many, many years, you know, and hopefully many more to come. But, you know, we kind of, I think, have developed this sort of insight or, or strategies and ways of managing what goes on in our head. And Connor maybe did that more himself, whereas I needed a psychologist for like six years before I even knew that these problems existed. But um, I think for a lot of people, like all of these things just kind of sit in the background. Um, and the other thing is, it's very easy. And I'm sure, Frank, you would agree with this 100%. It's really easy for, say, me and Connor to sit here in a room without any pressure, a room where we're kind of reflecting and say all these things, like be like, oh, actually, just be grateful or, or you know, like stick to your values. But in the moment, it's such a different feeling. And um, again, we go back to like controllables and uncontrollables, like you can't control how you feel or think in the moment when there is pressure, when 
you are expected to perform and that sort of thing. And so I really cannot stress enough, like, at least for me, realizing how much sort of almost practice and training is needed in order to kind of reinforce and strengthen these these ideas and approaches in in my own head and, and make it sort of normal and second nature for me rather than just sitting down i think this is a turning point like rather than sort of sitting down for an hour with a psychologist every couple of weeks and expecting that to change the way i think like a lot of it is would you say going away with the homework and and applying those things to your every day that that's what makes the difference I would, I would say so, yeah, for sure. I mean, again, kind of different sports psychologists will have kind of different flavor of sports psychology or just different methods. And some might say, you know, you, in sessions, you create that sort of perspective change and that in itself has the power of changing behavior and positive outcomes and all that. Uh, but in my view, you know, the, the ideas themselves are pretty straightforward to grasp like what i said with thank you brain but implementing that in practice that's hard especially under pressure especially with things that matter to us um and it just takes practice it's just we have certain habits with our brain with with our relationship with the mind so i always say you know just practice these things every day just a little bit you know have a journal when you're writing down your thoughts that's one way to create that distance and be like, okay, this is me sitting down in a chair with a, holding a pen and writing some thoughts down. These are the thoughts. The thoughts, there's, there's a separation there already, see? And uh, I know Connie, you use journaling as part of your coaching. Great. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal tool to gain self-awareness and, uh, and re reflect and create some wisdom, with, wisdom within yourself. You can do that even without a, psych a sports psychologist. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, so I love really. that. And I love the <laughs> fact that you've, you're kind of starting to delve into a little bit of like some strategies and methods they use. Because I kind of want to get that to like to sort of finish off. Like, what do you sort of practically yeah. use? And maybe like you say, some, some sort of analogies or metaphors. Like, um, and I get that probably different people require different different stuff right like i think mm. just again to share a sort of personal insight um the big game changer analogy for me weirdly was that um and i use this and this is only sort of middle of this year like sort of july august time i came across this or my sports psychologist kind of suggested this to me um as a kind of reframing of what i'm doing and he just said mate like you're in a casino um you know you can you can load the dice you can sort of count the cards like all those things you know training preparation blah blah that's gonna help you win but at the end of the day like it's fucking it's roulette like you know anything can happen you can do all the right things and it still doesn't go your way um yeah. and i think he used that analogy for me to realize that it's like gambling because there are a lot of things that I can't control and, you know, things can still happen even if I do everything right. But what I took away from that analogy was that I might have a bit of a gambling problem because like, I love it now. Like every time 
every time I go compete, I'm like, I'm in a casino and I want to win. <laughs> like I want to gamble and I want to win. Um, and there was, I remember like right after that, I was at a competition where I actually, you know, I needed a certain result in order to get, you know, get some points and blah, blah, blah. But um, basically I needed to hit a certain result and a placing and it was kind of stacked against me almost. Um, and, you know, I did the first two phases of the competition and I could either, basically, I could either um, not compete and then try to do it some other time because it was kind of really stacked against me. Or if I did the third phase and did well, then I could actually get a really good placing and achieve more than what my target was. And I was like, fuck, I'm in a casino. <laughs> and I, um, I, I just absolutely love this. And this is, this is a great example. So I've not heard this analogy before. And I, 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 it totally resonates with me. I completely get what you're saying. And I'm probably going to start using it myself. Um, and, <laughs> I could say, yeah, and I could say loads of them again. But it's a bit of a... And I think Connor will probably uh, be able to add some thoughts on that as well. Is, you know, every athlete is different in terms of kind of what resonates with them, uh, what analogy, what word in. And something can just click. And you may be like, I didn't expect that that would, that would work. <laughs> And it works uh, for me. I uh, if if you Shuan, you asked me to share some analogies, so I've I've actually got one that I really really like um, around pre-competition anxiety, around emotions in general, um, about being a surfer and riding the waves. Uh, I absolutely love it, and it's it's about you know if you think you know is is there's that excitement of trying to trying to ride that wave, and it comes up these emotions they come up when it's something that matters to us when it's something that's important to us and all we can do is we can give it a shot and if if you watch surfers they will they will give it a go and then you know sometimes it won't work sometimes they'll just end up in water and it's it's they don't sort of think much about it they just come back and try again and uh every now and then they're going to get a cool get a cool moment uh yeah that one that one really really resonates with me yeah i love the casino analogy as well i've heard it as uh sport is like playing a video game i'm a big video game fan all you've got to do is just press the right buttons and it's the same as like getting into you know exactly like you said some athletes you might say a cue or you might say something to them and they're just like oh wow yeah that really makes a lot of sense and then you're just sat there thinking does it it doesn't make any fucking sense to me, but you obviously don't say that. You're like, well, great. That's fantastic. You know, that resonated with me when I was, when I was younger, I used to be obsessed with video games and, you know, kind of still am. And when someone was saying to me, you know, sport is supposed to be fun. It's like playing a video game, right? You, if you, if you die at the end of the level, you just replay it again, you press and you have to press the right buttons. You know, there's always giving me another chance and that resonated with me and it, and it still does to this day. And back on the journaling thing, you know, the way that I got into it, one of my uh, friends said, like, just think about journaling as like writing a novel to yourself. You know, you're the only one that's going to read it and the only one that's going to have to be honest with themselves. So just write, write a novel. Um, you know, every entry diary that you have is, is a paragraph in that novel of your life. You know, whether you read that again or not, it doesn't matter because it gives you that 
as you mentioned earlier, you know, that watcher's perspective, which I think so many people know that they have the ability to have, but they just don't know how to get it out of them and gain some perspective. So I love, um, yeah, I think that was a great way to round off. Um, what's next for you then, Frank? Uh, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about you being sort of qualified PT and, and I know that you're going to sort of do a little bit of psychology on the side. And I know that you sort of will, will employ some of those techniques, whether you call that psychology or not, um, within your personal training, but what's kind of the, the grand plan? What's, what's the main goal? So at the, so at the moment, I'm, I'm lucky to be, uh, in a role that I'm really enjoying. I work full-time at King's College London, uh, which Connor used to, used to work there as well. So that's actually how we met. Um, yeah, so I work, work at the moment as a, as a gym coach. I do some personal training on the side as well, uh, a business and, uh, I'm still relatively new to the profession. So I've only have maybe two years under my belt um, kind of started out during lockdown as well. So there wasn't, you know, the gyms were closed and stuff. So it was all about training in the park and at home uh, and then now more in the gym. Um, but I guess for me, I'm, I, I still want to learn more about the fitness and the personal training and, and develop my expertise. I see, I still see it as I probably want to spend another couple of years maybe five years just learning the craft of being a personal trainer and then trying to use psychology within that I think um so you know one of the things that I I, I would like to create a bit of a positive impact is you know we sometimes see uh, you know we say um there's lot there's lots of people who well if you look at how many people are exercising in the UK regularly, I think the figure is 13%. Um, I just saw it on Instagram yesterday. So I hope that's correct. Or is maybe just fake news from Instagram. Who knows? Um, but obviously, I am passionate about physical activity and I would like to change that. And uh, I think, but I think it's not as straightforward as creating more advertising myself as a person training and attracting more people to come in and pay me. I think there is a lot of people out there who would like to maybe work with a personal trainer, but they're not quite ready yet. Um, you know, if we look at the kind of readiness for change, there is a model called uh, stages of change model. They're probably in that kind of pre-contemplation. Uh, they're quite not ready to change their behavior yet because, you know, they may be, kind of doubting the idea, worrying about what it would actually be like. It might just be too, too big of a step at this point. So I would like to be that personal trainer who's able to offer a service where maybe I'm doing just some remote coaching for a while with them, um, even for a few months before we even do any exercises in the gym, just getting them ready for the, for the um, idea of picking up the weights. Um, because I think there's not enough of that service out there and i think people who are just not ready to take that step um it's just hard for them to to get some support on that uh, so that's something that i'm really passionate about and i would like to really work with that sort of population uh with with people who just getting them kind of ready to to get into the gym but that's kind of my mission for the next couple of years i think that sounds amazing 
Brilliant. That honestly sounds incredible and really exciting. I'm really excited for you. And actually, you know, with that, I, I, I really understand where you're coming from because I can imagine, you know, for someone who is completely new to like exercise and fitness, the, just the idea of it can be really daunting. Um, and it's sort of all thrown at you at once in a lot of, in a lot of cases where, you know, PTs try to sign you up and join the gym and stuff. And then like, you've gone from doing nothing to having to go to the gym, like travel to the gym, be around other people exercising while you're maybe not feeling that confident. You're not that competent in the exercises and the machines and the equipment. So like all of that at once, whereas like you say, if you break it down, you start with, you know, maybe doing some exercise at home, maybe doing some bodyweight exercises, maybe going for a walk in the park, like all of those small things. And then, you know, then you're ready, like you say. So honestly, like that sounds like a really good idea. And yeah. I'm excited for you, man. Absolutely. And, you know, at the beginning, it may seem like there's no way I'll get there to where I'm going to the gym twice a week. Uh, but ex exactly the same as we do it with, with athletes is trying to create that, that path toward that end goal. And, and like you say, these are some brilliant examples of, of finding ways to, to increase some physical activity, whether it's doing household chores or uh, uh, going for a walk or going shopping and buying new trainers. Absolutely. Frank, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um, and your insight into some of the topics that we wanted to get into today. Uh, we, we are definitely going to have to get you on again for another episode because there's far more topics that yeah, we want to discuss. Like we could have kept going for hours. Like. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, we appreciate but, you giving up your time. Um, Yushuan, you got anything else to add? No, just thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like we touched on a lot of sort of the big topics and sports and sports psychology and yeah, hopefully people could take away um, some sort of concepts and methods that can help improve not just performance, but life. Absolutely. It was a, it was a pleasure to be on the podcast and, and well done guys for doing 30 episodes. Uh, you're, you're smashing it. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on for the 30th episode. And guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment. Uh, I think you can even subscribe on Spotify now. I don't even know. I could be talking up my ass. But either way, thank you guys for tuning in. And we will catch you on the next episode of Into the Unknown. So, Yushuan, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcast.